lovelies, and welcome to another edition of LGBT in the Ring, your rainbow bastion for all things pro wrestling. I am your host, Brian Bell, back once again here on the Outsports Podcast Network with another, from what I believe at least, very, very uh, fun edition of the show. And a lot of that fun comes from the fact that I was able to uh, sit down and have a, a good long chat with uh, someone who uh, I've been following for a little while now, um, but haven't had the pleasure of learning too, too much about um, one Corinne Mink. Um, Corinne, of course, uh, for reality TV fans out there, you'll recognize her as uh, the subject of the debut episode of TLC's latest reality series, uh, Dragnificent. That aired on Sunday, um, a very touching, uh, heartwarming show, um, if I must say so myself. Um, and I don't know, her story is is really, it's really interesting. Just the, like how she came to pro wrestling, what she has gotten out of pro wrestling, and how um, she defines like what she wants to to be and represent um, inside of the ring. And though she doesn't identify as LGBTQ, she's a very strong ally um, to LGBTQ pro wrestling. LGBTQ people in general, as you'll hear during the show, um, from uh, an early age. And I don't know, it was just a blast. Um, And oddly enough, drag um, (laughs) not only factored heavily into... um, her recent television appearance, but it also played a part in um, finding herself uh, within the ring in a lot of ways. And we'll get we get into that in, in the interview as well. And all around, it was just a, a great time, and um, I thoroughly enjoyed it. Um, and I think that you will too. So um, without any further ado, let's jump over to uh, Miss Dragnificent herself, Miss Corinne Mink. All right, guys, gals, and non-binary pals, welcome back to LGBT in the ring, and I am super stoked to have uh, my guest this week. She has been killing it in the the Northeast scene uh, in pro wrestling for a number of years now, Um, and also a lot of people might recognize her from uh, her recent appearance on the TLC show Dragnificent. Um, She at one point was a golden girl. Now she's one tough broad, but no matter what name she uses, she is a legit hoss. Corinne Mink, welcome to LGBT in the Ring. Oh my god, that was actually the best intro I've ever received <laughs> in my whole life. <laughs> I appreciated that to like the fullest extent. Thank you so much. I'm this is this I can tell this is going to be a treat, like on my end. Like listeners end, I don't know yet if it's gonna be a treat for them, but for me, I'm having the time of my life, girl. Oh, it is usually a very, very good sign. If we're having fun, <laughs> they're gonna have fun too. And that's one of the things that I really love about about doing this show is to have like a wide spectrum of, of people, both representing the LGBTQ scene in pro wrestling, but we also like to feature very very strong allies of which you are one um and i think that your story um within pro wrestling is one that it it has a a very impactful message within it as well that can 
doesn't speak to it speaks to pro wrestling as a whole in a lot of ways and what pro wrestling really can represent and we'll get into that here in a second but i have to say the one of the, you've been I, i've watched you in a number of promotions for a couple of years now and, and i've loved every bit of it but I'll be frank. Um, the main reason, one of the main reasons why I wanted you on the show this week was because um, recently I put out a call because I'm, I'm working on a piece for Outsports, um, looking at um, the like the best LGBTQ uh, themed ring gear, and friend of the show Lola McGrath from Primetime Pro Wrestling shouted you out immediately, um, speaking to your unique like form of of drag. Um, within pro wrestling, and I know that on Twitter you describe yourself as a uh, drag queen cactus Jack. That's which, right, baby. In Twitter yeah. and in real life, I do that. Yes, <laughs> and I will say, from seeing you in person, uh, you fit that to a T. Knock it out of the park. It's <laughs> awesome. Um, I'm curious though, like what? Whenever Lolo brought up like your unique sense of drag, like what what does that like? What does that mean to you, like that that phrasing of, of how you like present in the ring and, and how you kind of represent yourself? Um, I was floored that he even considered my my performance as a type of drag. Um, I, I really was because when I joined wrestling, I knew instantly this was gonna be the closest I was get gonna get to being a drag queen, like right then and there. Um, you know, back in 2015, drag kings didn't really have their moments. And plus, like, I don't really, like, drag kings, they're great. Like, I love them. Um, but it's just not my, like, level. It's not, like, my style of, like, opulence, you know, and just being extra. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's totally different. And um, something I love about drag queens is that, you know, they taught me that femininity is a hoax. Like, there's nothing really natural about it. And that's what helped me love my body. So drag queens have always been my um, my muse in life. So when I was even considered, you know, to be drag in a sense, I was like, oh, thanks, guys. Um, it, it was really, it was very, very touching. Um, because I actually, I was talking to um, Miss Vivacious of all people. Uh, I want to say, yeah, about a year ago, um, I was doing a show at Lucky Chang's where she was DJing. And I just want to say like, hey, you know, I just want to let you know that your season of Drag Race was the first season that I sat and watched. And I've always loved like club kid culture and stuff like that. Like, I love that shit, avant-garde, cool stuff. So um, she goes, but you can be a drag queen. I'm like, well, uh, it's just kind of sailed by now. And you know, Bio queens, I might ruffle a couple feathers here, but to me, there's nothing like subversive about being a bio queen. There really isn't so like I appreciate the art of it, but it's just it's not political. And mm-hmm. so what and, and everything about drag, whether they want it or not, is is political. And I love that. And um once off broad, I I think that she does send a statement of sorts. Um, you know, by looking very obviously feminine, but just like like a truck driver. (laughs) (laughs) You know, like she definitely has like masculine qualities about her and like is questionably like queer, like who, what? It's great, like, because, you know, 10 years ago, I would have like 
jumped off of a bridge if I read some of the comments that I read today on YouTube and Twitter and stuff. Like, mm-hmm. someone watched watch Dragnificent and said, I'm confused. Is Corinne Mink a female or... Oh, God. <laughs> I was just like, people, who cares, first of all? Second of all, if I am a trans woman, more power to me, but I'm not that cool. So... You know, like, I just love anything that sends, like, a gender-related uh, statement. And uh, that's what I really aim to do in wrestling, of all mm-hmm. No, well, you definitely accomplished that, I would say. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> yes, and, it, and I will say, like, seeing this well, – we'll talk about this a little bit later, but, like, seeing the evolution mm-hmm. from the Golden Girl to the One Tough Broad was, like, a, mm-hmm. a very interesting, trend, like – movement in a way and i'm and i'm very curious to see like how that played out for you and like what went into that idea but <laughs> before we get there um uh i want to go back to to the beginning uh because obviously anyone that is interested in progressing to the point that either they watch it um regularly or end up getting in the ring such as yourself and many other guests on this show um it all starts from some point where you see it and you latch onto it. I'm curious, where did you first um, discover pro wrestling and, and how did you find uh, that bit of it that kind of just latched onto you? Oh, this is a good story. I, this is like top 10 favorite stories of my whole life. Um, awesome. So um, I used to work for my family business that was run by my grandpa. It was a food truck. Trust me, this all makes ah. sense. Uh, yeah, so I brought in the food truck, you know, it literally was like run almost out of his house. And, you know, I bring it back and um, getting ready to go for the day. And my grandpa, who we call the bear, I don't need, that's a long story. <laughs> too. And the bear, the bear is an icon. And um, he goes, hey, Chris, you want to go see the wrestling? I'm like, what, what the fuck, bear? Like, what are you talking about? <laughs> And there was an indie show running at his church, like, up the street, right? So, this was December 2015, and running at St. Bernadette's Church in Tarwin, New Jersey, GCW, Game Changer World Wrestling. Oh, wow. So, hold on one second. One second. Your grandpa (laughs) took you to a GCW show as your intro (laughs) to pro wrestling? Yeah, right? But it was before wow. it got, like, it was before, you know, the Janela spring break and stuff. So it wasn't, like, cool yet. It was just, yeah. like, any other Jersey promotion, you know? Mm-hmm. And um, so uh, I drop Bear off at the front of the church. I go park the car. And then I start walking in. And I'm walking in by myself. I already dropped Grandpa off. you got to give him a head start. He moves very slowly. And, um... Some dude in a tracksuit walks up to me and says, you want to do this? Like, you're huge. You should do this. <laughs> I'm like, who are you? You're wearing a tracksuit, sir. Like, what is going on? And so I just, I pay him no mind. Um, I walk in. I'm, I'm already, like, expecting to sit sign up booth. Like, hey, do this. You know, like, like Tiger Shulman's karate or, you know, or something like that, you know? Yeah. And I don't. So I sit down. Um, on this card, actually, some great names, like Janela was on the show, uh, Miss Penelope Ford was there, QT Marshall was there, like, it's just, it's crazy to think about this card, but, um, 
during intermission, tracksuit walk up to me again, and he says, "Hey, like I'm the promoter here. Like I really think you should do this." And I'm like, "What the fuck?" <laughs> I'm fresh off of my collegiate track and field career, mind you. Too, it was a year after I retired from a nine-year-long track and field career, so I don't have that like physical outlet anymore, mm-hmm. and that sucked. Um, but after, after tracksuit left me, um, watch the show. I'm like, and I just instantly think back to like season three of drag race where they have that wrestling, uh, challenge. I'm like, yo, this is my in. (laughs) (laughs) So I find tracksuit. I'm like, Hey, how do I get this going? He, um, invites me. He, He goes, okay, like it's where you go. Um, he tells me to show up to the venue and he has Willow Nightingale and Brandon Kurtz bump me around for a couple hours before the show. Wow. <laughs> right? Like, just the thing about, like, where these people wound up. And then he sent me over uh, to the Creator Pro School um, in Rawway, New Jersey, after that night. And it's been history ever since. Nice. I, I am... I had a feeling that I can't remember if you had been trained at Creator Pro or not, but like Creator Pro is like it's put out a number of awesome talent. I mean, the one that all yeah. automatically jumps to to mind is Chris is uh, Chris Statlander, killing it in, AC, mm-hmm. in AEW right now. But no, that's an awesome school. That's an uh, that's uh, that is a wow. So this was like a right? like, immediate ramping. Like Im- as soon as you walk into the building, people are saying you should do this. <laughs> Yeah, and I, I walk into school on the first day. I still thought it was called WWF. Um, the oh, only wrestler wow. I really could have told you was Hulk Hogan, John Cena, and China, because like China's everything. But yes. um, I had no idea. This my first day. We learned what small package was, and uh, my trainer uh, Mario Bokura, who makes an appearance in the Dragnificent episode. Um, he goes, okay, you hook him like a suplex. And then he looks at me and goes, wait, you don't know what a suplex is. I'm like, no. <laughs> <laughs> I knew nothing. I knew nothing. Like, like I I saw a Snapman for the first time, and I was shook. I was like, yo, I have to do that? Like, what? <laughs> so, like, like, I was like, arm drag, what? Like, oh, my God. Like, bumping I had no problem with. But it was like, oh, my God, people are going to pick me up. Like, I don't know what I was expecting. But, um, yeah, I literally had, like, zero idea what I was getting myself into. But I loved it. So <laughs> I just <stuck> around. <laughs> <laughs> oh, clearly. <laughs> no, like it's it's very interesting. Like you're talking about you coming off of an athletic career. What did you do um, in track and field? Like, what were your um, your focuses there? I was the and field focus. Um, look at me. It does not look like I run anywhere, <laughs> bro. Like, let's be real here. I'm not running nowhere. Um, no, I, uh, I was a shot put and discus thrower. I like discus way more than shot put because it's way less effort and it goes so much further. It's great. Um, <laughs> I wound up throwing, uh, for Dartmouth College, uh, in New Hampshire for four years. Oh, so, nice. Uh, yeah, right? And, like, that's, and at Dartmouth, like, during my college years is when I really fell in love with the LGBTQ community. Um, so, really, it, 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 it like, it just seems like everything fell into place, you know? Um, mm-hmm. 
And the day I found out that Discus Lariats were a thing, I was like, yo, it's over for y'all, bro. Like, <laughs> <laughs> it's over. Like, I, I, um, I actually, I'll, I'll, I'll pop them out once in a while. Because uh, I can feel like they're overdone. But um, people go, okay, like, how much room do you need? And, you know, they'll, like, step back, like, three feet. And I'm like, no, I need about, like, 10 meters. <laughs> like, or something wild. Because a discus, a discus um, lariat or discus anything is, technically in a discus world, is called the South African. It's not a real discus throw. It's the South African drill. Uh, oh. A real discus throw has an entire, like, 270-degree pivot in the beginning, whereas um, – the South African throw just has like the sweep of the right leg. So, uh, oh, yeah. Huh. yeah, you learn something new every day here, everyone. Definitely. <laughs> <laughs> no idea about that. Um, I'm curious, like, it's interesting to talk about like the first time that you really kind of got ingrained um, with the the LGBTQ community was in college. Um, obviously, you know, as we're recording this like, the night before, you like put out a very lengthy uh, Twitter thread talking about that the experiences that you had in college and kind of like becoming associated and, and falling kind of for lack of a better term like in love with the LGBTQ community and mm-hmm. just kind of like becoming a a, a big ally there. Talk to me about your experiences at Dartmouth that kind of led to that. Like, what was what was the initial thing that kind of pushed you in that direction to kind of start right. lending your voice to that community? Mm-hmm. So, um, in that Twitter thread, you know, it starts off with me being weirdly masculine and whatever. Like, you know, I'm five foot eight and eleven years old, wearing a, like I wear a size ten men's shoe. I have a weirdly deep voice. Whenever I pick up the phone, it's like, "Hello, sir," and I'm like. Not a sir, but hey. Um, <laughs> yeah. You know, or just like in, in high school, I was called like beast and manly, whatever. And I went to, um, you know, I'm from suburban New Jersey. Uh, you know, nothing crazy going on here. So I get to Dartmouth and I'm meeting so many people from literally everywhere in the world. And I'm seeing so many like gender expressions and sexualities and people who feel like, the quote-unquote like status quo gender representation doesn't work for them either and it was just a way I never connected with another human that way like I connected with the drag queens that I saw you know for the very first time on Project Runway in 2008 but like I never met them you know like I didn't have that like person-to-person deep level wavelength uh with them but in college when I met these people uh, I did, and it was beautiful, and I, it, there was just so, I had so many memories of just staying up with, like, my my friends, like, wee hours of the morn, um, you know, talking about this stuff. I cannot tell you how many people came out to me, like, I was the first person they came out to. Um, I did more of my uh, male-bodied friends' makeup than I did female-bodied friends' makeup in college. Like, I was just... In, in, I, I felt it was like such a maternal feeling too, like to put like mascara on uh, my friends uh, for the first time or like cinching their waist or whatever and just, you know, letting them feel beautiful. And uh, it was just like that maternal like love I felt that I think really, really, really just like lit the fire under my ass to be a huge ally to just like dive into this like full force. Hmm. so so, uh, like as you're going through college like and and obviously like you mentioned before um or at least 
in, in the thread there, like you ended up taking so many classes that you ended up minoring in gender studies. <laughs> it was a um, double major. It was a whole oh, a double major. major. Okay, okay, okay. Like it was an accident. And, and what's crazy is at Dartmouth, you need a concentration. I had the concentration mm-hmm. just fall on my lap. I didn't even have to like. I didn't even have to like bullshit and piece my way together something. Like I just had enough classes about melodrama. Like what? <laughs> like also, yeah. This is this this is Dartmouth people. Like yeah, this is what my parents spent a lot of money on. I had enough classes to have a concentration on gender depiction in melodrama. And I'm like, yo, when am I ever gonna use that? Lo and behold, man, here I am. Exactly. In the gayest melodrama of them all. <laughs> that might be the best descriptor i've heard for this industry in a very long time <laughs> it, honestly it just came to me too like we just had this epiphany together and i'm really glad to have shared it with you because i'm not gonna lie i'm very proud of that yes i don't fault you at all i would be very proud of that too so it was like part of that like kind of backdooring into that double major there was it just more of like your desire to kind of like understand this community that you were becoming close with or like more so like because you said that you struggled with like the uh, these ideas these these these, like societal norms of of masculinity and femininity before um going to college Mm -hmm. um what do you think that some of that desire to better understand yourself even was um like what what kind of pushed you just to study those things 100 percent. it started off as very um innocent like you know just feminism things you know i've always been some wild feminist too but i was i was like that girl who like wanted to play football my mom's like no i'm like why she's like because you're a girl and i'm like i don't i don't care like okay okay so why like what was the reason so like that's how like i think was my big ticket in was just that because like here i am i'm like bigger than a lot of men and i i want to play sports that they do like i want to hit people um (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I was banned from contact sports after field hockey. Um, but, oh. <laughs> yeah, right? So, uh, like I said, it really, it's just like a big cosmic joke of everything falling into place. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, it really, it started off as just like, you know, just like classic second wave feminism, man. Just, you know, good old clean cut, like down with the patriarchy feminism. And before I knew it, here I am. And the acid trip called Judith Butler, and <laughs> it took my breath away. No, it definitely sounds like it. Um, <laughs> I was very curious about the um, the picture that you posted. I know I'm talking a lot about this Twitter thread. Like, if people go oh, go read you. it, it's awesome. But um, mm-hmm. the picture you put up with your tassel being a rainbow. Like, wh- what's the story mm-hmm. behind the, the the rainbow tassel for your graduation? So- yeah, um, so Dartmouth, they have, like, this whole LGBTQ um, coalition, you know, and they had a banquet, uh, they have a banquet every June, obviously, in Pride Month, and one thing about Dartmouth is that the the academic year actually ends very late, so we do get to have a full-fledged Pride uh, in June, and it's very beautiful, um, but there was a banquet, and um, one of my dearest friends, who, um, his name is Aaron. He founded a senior secret society. I was his VP of it all. It was primarily LGBTQ um, members in the society, but it, and it was just yeah, Dartmouth has secret societies. Dartmouth's a weird place. Um, but we're at this uh, this banquet at the end of the year, and Aaron presented me with this tassel. He goes, "I like we want you to wear this at graduation," and I was like, "Oh my god!" Like I'm like sobbing. 
like sobbing because here was a community so marginalized, but they accepted me with such open arms and it, it's beautiful. It really is. And so to think that anybody would dare think less of the LGBTQ community, I, I, I have nothing but just like internal rage because that to me is just like the strongest, most compassionate thing that humans are capable of. Like here we are, we are people uh, who have been marginalized, put down, made to feel less than, but you know what? Like weary soul, Corinne, we love you, welcome. You know, and it, it, it was just like the truest acceptance I've ever felt. And uh, to wear a rainbow tassel at my graduation, I still have it, um, was one of the highest honors uh, to me. Mm. No, it's a very powerful statement. It really was. Yeah. Um, well, obviously we're going to get back into wrestling here in just a second, but I, I can't let this this um, little like precursor to that career go by without mentioning, like asking you about this uh, your first time that you saw drag and your experience mm-hmm. kind of coming to understand it. Like, because you said before, like you you saw, I think you said your first experience with that was watching it on Project Runway in 2008. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And then, like, I remember this, like, reading that you had had a discussion with your mom about it. Like, what? How did that discussion like come up? Like, was it just like a genuine curiosity from yourself? And and how did she kind of help you better understand what this like concept actually meant? It was it, it was actually very very simple. I was like, Yo, mom, what is this? She goes, Oh, those are drag queens. I'm like, Okay, explain. She goes, They're men who dress up as women. I'm like, So they want to be women she's like ah no maybe maybe not not really you know but they just do it sometimes i'm like so that so are they gay or she's like ah, most of the time like nine times out of ten they're probably gay and i'm like oh okay cool and that was really the end of the discussion <laughs> like, it wasn't like this in-depth like performativity like that's really all she said um and my mom is honestly just like the cutest when it comes to that type of stuff like there was one day she was wine drunk and she just like went up to my little brother and gave him the biggest hug. And she goes, John, I don't care if you're gay. <laughs> and my little brother's like, Mom, I'm not gay. She goes, You're like, Come on, John. Like, you're not pulling me. <laughs> <laughs> so, like, my mom is an icon, like, actual icon when it comes to that type of stuff. But yeah, no, it really wasn't anything, um, like, deep. It was, it was just like, Yeah, they're dudes. Yeah, you know, they wear dresses. Like, yeah, that's, that's what it is. <laughs> Well, obviously, it sent you down a path to where you found like your own little niche of it within uh, by entering pro wrestling. Talk to me about um, like training and and like developing your your character. Like, where did you really first kind of feel like you like belong? I like, felt that sense of belonging in the ring. Like, where did you? Where did you? When did you start to kind of like find yourself? So, um, because I didn't have that wrestling background, um, I, I tried, and I was among people who did, who loved, eat, slept, drank, bathed, breathed pro wrestling, right? So I tried everything that I thought, like, being a wrestler was supposed to be, and I actually, in doing that, got away from um, the performance aspect that I fell in love with. So um, it did take me a lot longer than anticipated, because... You know, I told my college friends, hey, I'm wrestling. Like, people were excited for me, but nobody was surprised. They're like, oh, yeah, that sounds about right. So, um, 
I'm doing my Golden Girl stick, and uh, honestly, Golden Girl was, I say, like my fourth gimmick I had going on within two years. Like, that's how, like, much I changed. And so I'm doing my Golden Girl nonsense, and um, I get booked in my first, like, real intergender match. And I am hyped. Like, I am so hyped. Because at Creative Pro, um, I was always told, like, I, I practiced with the boys. Obviously, I was the only girl there for the longest time. Because um, New Jersey and New York are different schools, so Chris was on the at the New York school, I was in the New Jersey school. So, um, but they're like, yeah, no, we don't do intergender here, and I'm like, so um, I got booked in my very first like real intergender match in Providence, Rhode Island at Wrestle Party FKA Live Prob, and um, I'm still doing the Golden Girl stick, but I'm like, yo, I'm wrestling like this big dude, like I can't, I can't just show up in like a velvet blazer, I'm like no, I can't do that. So I got these like these cool pants, like my like these cool like Kim Possible looking pants. And I got a shirt with Blanche Devereaux's face on it, and it said slut. I'm like, this is a great shirt. <laughs> and I cut the sleeves off, taped my wrist, and I was like, yo, this is dope. Like, that was, like, the bet, like my favorite match uh, at the time. I was like, yo, I, I got to do this. But it stayed very um, contained within live prog and a matter of pride. I didn't do it anywhere else. But I would wear my, my Blanche Devereaux shirt, um, my Kim Possible pants, tape up my wrist and I would just, you know, it was all punches, big boots. And that was it. You know, I didn't do any moves. It was great. Um, <laughs> but uh, then, you know, uh, I, did, I started like the golden girl was over. People loved the golden girl, but um, what it was weird because I was running into copyright issues, you know, with, mm-hmm. um, with pro wrestling being streamed on, you know, fight and IWTV, which is great and makes wrestling more accessible. But, you know, you can't have, like, copyrighted music. So, and I couldn't find, and, like, the Golden Girl would make zero sense if I entered to anything that was not the Golden Girl theme song. You know, and, like, I couldn't, yeah. I couldn't like, really call myself, like, the, like, bookers would be like, hey, you know, I don't really want to call you the Golden Girl, you know? And I'm like, what? So, um, <laughs> you know, I was like, well, you know, I did this, like, this other type of Golden Girl, like this Butch Golden Girl. So I just start calling her, you know, the legit hoss, one tough broad. And, uh, yeah, that's really how that happened. <laughs> so I got the sick tra- of wearing pantyhose, too. I got sick of wearing pantyhose. That that was a, a huge influence. Why I started wearing pants. Pantyhose suck. <laughs> yes. I, uh, the, the few times that I have done that are, uh, those are fishnets. Like, they can definitely suck. <laughs> Right, you do nothing, and they just they just rip for no reason. I'm like, this is this is stupid. <laughs> like, we have another nylon shortage, please. Like, this sucks. <laughs> so that that's actually really interesting. That it, it was just kind of like this this um like necessity, not even really like a, a a super like concerted effort to move from the Golden Girl to more of the the legit Haas persona. Yeah. It seems like. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I don't know if you know anything about my pro wrestling career. Nothing was really a concerted effort. Like, that's not to say, you know, people at the creative pro school didn't work hard and bust their ass. Like, yeah, of course I worked hard and bust my ass. And like, I'm doing the drives and all that. But, yeah. and, and I think any wrestler can tell you that the best things that happen to them are, are things that are just like a chance. Like, you know, it, like you're always working for that goal of, you know, 
uh, of what your picture of success in pro wrestling looks like, whether it's to be a contracted wrestler on TV or an indie darling or, you know, to, to travel the world doing this. But it's, it's the best things that happen to you, like, you, you can't even ever possibly, like, plan for them, you know? You can be mm-hmm. prepared for the opportunity, but you can never plan for it. So, um, yeah, that's how legit Hoss happened. But it really, this is an extension of myself. Like, I, I don't know, like, because with the Golden Girl, like, I was trying, like, okay, like, I know how to do makeup. I know how to be pretty. Okay, like, I'll do that. Like, that's cool. But, and then I'm just like, wait, I can still be pretty and still, like, kick ass, yo. And so, uh, yeah, like, uh, I went to um, my five-year college reunion with my husband, fiance at the time. And I took him into my sorority's basement. And it shouldn't be a surprise to any of you, but I was part of that local sorority full of rugby player feminist lesbians um, and Sigma <laughs> Delta. Cheers to you. Um, and I was in the basement just being wild and doing what I would do in college and just be, like, wild. And Javi was like, like, this is you wrestling. Like, you, you have to do this wrestling. I'm like, oh, I'm just, just being written, man. Like, I'm not, I'm not doing anything. <laughs> and, um, like... <laughs> Once I started channeling like my my wild college years of me just being a little outlaw, stealing pong paddles from fraternities, um, <laughs> I like really I started having so much more fun in wrestling, and because it, that's when it became natural. Like that's when I you know became like you know those moments where you have to like pander to the crowd. Like I didn't have to think about that anymore. I didn't have to like it just it just happened. Like when I was at Butch versus Gore, like. None of y'all knew who I was. I'm okay with it. Um, but, like, I just walked out there, and everything you saw in my entrance was just me, like, like, yeah, like, hi, I'm Corinne. And that was just, like, my truest self. Like, I'm very, I'm intense. I'm brash, and I'm intense. But I'm still cute, though. No, I, speaking of Butch versus Gore, um, yes. Like, that, like, I had, I definitely, like, been aware of you like i said and i had seen some of your stuff specifically in a matter of pride i, I want to say mm-hmm. and a little bit of capital as well um mm-hmm. but you i did not know that you were going to be in that match that night and whenever you came out like i like the entrance was perfect um and <laughs> it was twofold because like yes it was very much a, a brash like in your face style that really spoke to to the legit boss character um but also i don't know if you noticed this after you got in the ring the beers that you threw down um ashton star <laughs> ashton star yeah, and i, I think the <laughs> oh, i love ashton star girl i love that bitch and i saw him do that and i was like you raggedy got a laugh um i will say him him and tony the intern i think was the other one that grabbed the other one and, and uh just a perfect moment there um but before we talk more about butch versus gore like 
I want to talk to you like con like recent controversies aside. Um, a matter of pride um, is a company that has has really made a point to to um, highlight uh, queer talent within the wrestling um, for a number of years. Um, mm -hmm. And I, I, I want to talk to you about like the the experience of like being in, being chosen to be on that show. Like, what did that mean to you to kind of be able to be included in in that community? With, you already had that at Dartmouth, and then now mm -hmm. you're in pro wrestling and a, a queer focused, queer specific uh, promotion is looking to you to bring you in. Oh, that was the utmost validation. It really was. Um, and even though, you know, Rick has, um, some, a lot of negatives going for him right now, but to be validated by Rick like that, because I, uh, when I first got into wrestling, I found the Pella twins and I just like, I, I don't mark out for anybody like at all, but I see, I see them and I'm like marking out like crazy. Cause like, this is what I want to be in wrestling. Right. Uh, and Eddie McQueen is actually probably like my best friend right now um love love that crazy bitch but when rick started calling me like he started saying like i like he has such a lady boner for me i was it was literally just the utmost validation uh to be chosen to work for a matter of pride and um i love those shows because i got to have fun be around the people that i love um but i also knew i was never going to be like pushed in that championship picture and I was 100% okay with it. This wasn't my platform, okay? Like, I'm here to be a part of the supporting cast. Like, I knew I was going to be, like, the little undercard queen. And I was totally okay with it. It was just, I I just felt correct at a matter of pride for the longest time. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. No, I mean, there, I mean, there is a certain sense of... Um... Mm -hmm. Like that, that continuing commitment from the the queer community, and that, mm -hmm. that that attitude of acceptance, rather instead of instead of a commitment yeah. that, from that, that really like being included in in those kind of events and leading into our our discussion of Butch versus Gore, um, which I that was like queer WrestleMania in a lot of ways, mm -hmm. um, <laughs> but um, or as I guess as Billy coined it, a uh, queer Starcade. Um, yeah. That, that makes more sense. Yes, of definitely. Um, <laughs> there's there there is a certain um, I don't know. What did you find like a certain um, like for I guess not to be like punny or anything, a certain pride in in being able <laughs> to kind of like be that that ally for that community uh, whenever like so many queer talent um have been you know either like mistreated or, or not given as many as many chances uh within the industry up until that point oh yeah 100 percent. like they, i can't tell you how many bookings like i turned down that would have paid me a lot more money because pride was running and i'm like nope sorry not a matter of pride like you know i'm the stone cold it's a matter of pride guys like uh-uh um so like yeah it it really a Matter of Pride, Butch vs. Gore, um, those are the shows that I look forward to the most because uh, in the locker room, I know I'm going to have a good time, and I never feel like I'm going to be misunderstood in those locker rooms. Like, I feel like the the roster, I mean, and there's also a lot of overlap between those two locker rooms. Um, oh, definitely. But those, yeah, those are the people who get me. I get them, like, 
that's my circle, you know, like these, these are my girls, like the dolls are here and we turned it like, you know, and I'm so proud of Billy for Butcher's sport. And my heart goes out to that little queen over Paris's bumping, um, you know, having oh, God, to yes. it the way he had to, like he, he texted me and it was like, like eight texts long. I'm like, Billy, it's like nobody's gonna hold this against you. This is not a reflection of you as a person. Like, literally everyone is canceling. Okay, girl, like it's fine. But still, like my heart, like I was supposed to wrestle. Like, I think the match Billy had in mind there was <laughs> a no ring death match. Oh, okay. Where, where, where Eddie McQueen was my partner. <laughs> like I don't know. That's money. If you ask me, I don't know how he convinced Eddie McQueen to do anything that involves, um, like, any ounce of blood. So, <laughs> I like, y'all, when Paris is bumping, is coming back, it's gonna be bumping, okay? Like, if this is what, what Billy just had planned, like, I can't imagine what tomfoolery and haberdashery would actually come to life. Because I did not expect Butch versus Gore to be I knew it was gonna be magical but I didn't I didn't know I had no idea it was gonna be that magical and that powerful. Like it was beautiful. Oh no, definitely. Definitely <laughs> was. I am very curious to see Eddie McQueen in a no ring death match. <laughs> and I eagerly await for Paris's bumpings rescheduling so that I can see that. Jesus Christ. <laughs> oh. oh but um like we keep we keep being out of the bush here with Butch versus Gore. Let's talk about it. Um, so when did you get the call from from Billy about uh, Butch versus Gore, and and what was the thought process whenever you learned that that um that he wanted you on the card there? Um, so the show happened uh, first week of March, right? I yeah. got the call from Billy in July. Oh wow! July the year prior about this he's like get your dc license blah 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 like you are doing this the original plan was for me to work with billy that night and we were going to have he he had a a cute name for it it was like it was going to be a hardcore match but like um like ball scenes so like i had an idea where i was going to like smash his head with um scorecards and say like tens across the board you know (laughs) yes we're very we're very into the paris is burning uh, New York club kid scene because Billy is from the Bronx. We uh, lest we forget. So, um, and I'm from New Jersey, so you know that's that's where our our gay ancestors come from. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but so that was the original plan. But then something with the company, and then you know got work there. So it's like, ah, hey, you know, we'll just put you in the scramble. And I'm like, yeah, whatever, scramble. I don't know. Like, I, at that point, I was over it. Yeah, but you know, made it. I come to love scramble multi man matches. Like people dread them because they 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 are complicated. But once you figure it out, dude, it's it's great. Especially when they're elimination style like that. Whew. It, it's a good night at the office when you have an elimination style scramble match. <laughs> <laughs> so, so easy. Yes. <laughs> so you get the so you, of course you get the call from Billy. You're you're gone on the show. What what were your expectations heading into it? Uh nowhere near from like what was delivered at that. Like literally nowhere near it. Um I was so excited to go to DC wrestle in DC for the first time because um one of my bridesmaids, 
um, lives in D.C. I went to college with her. If you watch uh, Dragnificent, she's the one with the leopard print bandana when I try my dresses on. Uh, she lives in D.C. Yeah, and she was at the show. Like, and she didn't tell me she was going to be there. So, like, I'm in the ring, and, like, I made my entrance or whatever, and you see me just, like, totally get all, like, teary-eyed for a second because mm-hmm. I see Allie's six-foot-tall strawberry blonde girlfriend. I see Julia, and I'm like, oh, wait! Because <laughs> Allie's much shorter. <laughs> yeah. So I see, I see her girlfriend first, and then I see her, and I'm like, oh, by how uh, professionally things were run at that promotion. Like, I was like, this is a well-oiled machine. Like, no wonder these people are successful. Because just everything behind the scenes was beautiful. Just so professional, so nice. Like, there was no, like, drama or nothing. And people are helpful. And there's meetings. And it's organized. And Billy had, Billy had a vision. And he had no problem letting his vision be known. Like, he came up to me. He said, all right, bitch, like, this is this is your task for the day. And I'm like, okay, girl, <laughs> you already know. <laughs> so it was, it, it, it was great. Like, you know, like, Billy doesn't care about wrestling moves. I mean, look at him. He doesn't, he doesn't give two shits about it. Mm. But Billy just likes drama and stories. And, and that's where good wrestling comes from. Uh, let's, let's all be real. It's the gayest melodrama. So, like when Billy just told me like listen these people are gonna love you and you love them like give them give them the show and I was like okay this is the dance guys and it it, it really was honestly that is one of my favorite matches of my entire career uh was was just that day that whole day from top to bottom hmm <laughs> no, it, it sounds like the, the locker room there was like really, really like uh, supportive and really of like of just everybody being supportive of one another and like and uh, that it ha- kind of had this idea like of a, of a clear motive. I mean, Billy and Lolo both are like very much like can from what I've seen at least can very much steer something in the right direction. I mean, Butcher's score obviously was probably the best example of that. Um, yeah. But, and I didn't mention Lolo enough. I'm so sorry, Lolo, because Lolo is the reason why we're talking. Let's be real here. Uh, <laughs> that was the first time I had met uh, the extravagant uh, Lolo. And like I said, I, there was not a single, like, remotely bad thing I could say about anybody I came in contact with that day. Yeah. Like, at all. <laughs> like, and just, like, especially with people running it between Gator, Lolo, Billy, like, I was so 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 blown away like really like top to bottom just class class act is the best word i can use to describe uh the people working at prime time pro wrestling Mm. so as an as an ally of the community what did it mean to you to see like the the just the amount of people that they were able to draw for that show and the the how diverse that crowd was compared Mm -hmm. to other shows that you've been on I mean, hell with my ally status or not. That was a great crowd, man. Like, (laughs) any wrestler would be privileged to work for a crowd of that magnitude and of that volume. Like, volume meaning, like, audio volume. They they were invested, and they wanted to be entertained. And that was just, like, all you could ask for uh, as a professional wrestler. And then uh, the whole allyship 
was just a cherry on top of it all. Like it, it really was an honor. And when I feel that from the crowd, it, it shows. Like you like you watch my matches in front of, you know, like stupid MAGA crowds in Western Pennsylvania or whatever. Like, yeah, you know, it's, it's a match. You know, it was a wrestling match. The bell rang and, you know, people fought each other. But, like, when I'm in front of people that I feel the energy and I can give the energy back to, woo, woo, it's a, it's a different beast. And they're always my favorite. <laughs> um, Especially when that... beer's involved. Oh well, of course. I mean, and geez, I mean, you hold a show at a brewery, beer's always going to be involved. <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm curious. You said like the 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 scramble match, the Pride of Primetime match that you were in, was like one of your favorites of your career so far. What what was there like a distinct uh, p- part of that match that really made you feel that way, or was it just like the entire thing overall? Because you were in the ring with a lot of like like large like pretty big names um on the indie scene right now like lgbtq or otherwise mm-hmm. MV young ac mac mm-hmm. you know you had people making their debuts there like like jared like just like yourself jared evans russell rogue like and you know devon can't forget devon and then of course um oh. uh miss lisa frank herself erica lee oh um, adorable is she not <laughs> yes yes he made fun of my nails that day but still oh. i like you <laughs> erica i like you you made fun of my nails that day that was real shady of you, but whatever. It was, it was because I was fresh off my wedding, and I got my wedding claws, like, cut down, and so my nail lady wasn't available, and so I had to go to some random salon, and my nails looked like teeth. It was devastating. <laughs> but anyway. <laughs> um, but, yeah, being, like, honestly, MV Young was my favorite, like, I don't want to say favorite, but he was the part I was most excited about working with in that match because, I know, I know that little queen loves a good Japanese forearm strike exchange. And oh yeah, <laughs> I love a good Japanese forearm strike exchange myself. And so I was like, I ain't going home until I get this strike exchange. Like, this is happening. You know, I was like, I, like, I want to beat the fuck out of you. And he's like, I want to beat the fuck out of you. And I'm like, good, let's go, <laughs> let's go. So like, it, it was just, and it was so believable because it was real. Like, we were just two weirdos. They just wanted to, like, hit each other very, very hard. And so we did. <laughs> like, like, what do we have to prove? Like, who told us to do that? Nobody, but we did it. And that was, on. That was to me, my favorite part of this match. I was, and then me, like, like, you know, like, why am I hitting the ropes that much? Like, I told you, I don't run. I don't run. He's, he's, like, making me do things. I'm like, yo. Okay, yeah, this makes no sense. Well, let's, let's go. I'll, I'll entertain you. You know, I'll run. <laughs> I don't know. That, that that match was like one of the high. I mean, every match on that card was a highlight, honestly. Um, and 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 it, honestly, in some ways, it's the the like the memory and the status of that show is a little bit heightened because it was really the last time that a lot of um, a lot of us really got to go to a live show before everything kind of shut down due to the coronavirus pandemic. Mm-hmm. Um, so in some way, I, I think a lot of people are, Billy and Lolo included, I'm sure, are very happy that we, they were able to get the show in before everything kind of shut down. But, you know, that being uh, like the one of the last moments of, of live indie pro wrestling that we saw before everything went on indefinite hiatus, I think it kind of adds to 
the memory of that night? I don't know if if you feel the same way or not. Um, oh, I do. I remember like a little differently because like I did have like I was able to squeeze in like two or three more events before mm-hmm. everything happened. But to just know that like this is what I left before indie wrestling shut down is a great feeling on my part. Um, like I picked up like. I would say a fair deal of momentum after that because it was my first time really being pushed on IWTV. I gained a bunch of Twitter followers that day. Not that that's any real measure of your success, but it is. Um, <laughs> so uh, that was a great, and like just the positive feedback I received from the Twitterverse that day. And um, I think the next match I had was WSU, uh, where I worked with uh, Eddie McQueen. Great time put Eddie through a door. That was a great day. And then the week after that, I actually worked <laughs> Miss Connor Claxton in a hardcore match. So, um, oh, was that like, the CZW show? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> and that was completely like I didn't know what I was doing that day. I'm just driving down to Maryland, having a good time at this taping, and DJ goes, "You okay with working a, a dude today?" And I'm like, "Yo, of course, sir." Like, what do you mean? He goes, yeah, what about Connor Claxton? I'm like, what? <laughs> <laughs> uh, 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 who? Bonner Baxton? Great. No, no, Connor Claxton. Oh, oh, okay. Okay. And that was, honestly, that match I've had with Connor was the most nervous I was ever leading into a match. And I've worked with, you know, people like Scarlett Bordeaux and Chris Statlander and all that. And, like, yes, I'm always, like, and, and like Sienna, and like I'm jittery before those, and I was nervous. But Connor, I it was a different type of nervous. It was like, oh, this is sink or swim, baby. Like, <laughs> yo. And why do I you think it's because what? Oh, no, I was going to ask you why do you think that that you had that heightened sense of nervousness going into that match against Connor? Because uh, it was a different. You know, there's no hardcore class at Creative Pro New Jersey, so um, <laughs> it's not something like. I'm very prepared for, um, you know, when it comes to chaining and, and high spots and, you know, come back, heat, finish, whatever. Yeah, I can do that my eyes closed because the, the training that I've had has been that great. But when it comes to gimmicky things like that, woo, I'm, a, I'm a little greener in that, in that aspect, right? But it is, it's fun because you can get more creative. And then especially someone who's had, like, that many miles, like Connor's had a million miles in the hardcore uh, race here, and I have had none. <laughs> so it was like the biggest level of like disparity, I think, in experience I've ever uh, had going into a match. And Connor's that type of dude, if he don't like you, he'll kill you. And guess what? I ain't trying to get killed. <laughs> so, I think that's always kind of the plan, right? Yeah, more or less. Yeah. <laughs> no, that's actually like I oh God, I I that's actually really cool that you got to, to work Connor before, you know, everything kind of went down as well. Like it seemed like you had a nice little like mini like tour there near, like right before the the wall right? kind of yeah. went up. That's really nice and to see. Know, I'm okay. I'm yeah. okay with the wall going up, you know? My bump card's getting saved. Also, like, newlywed in quarantine with no kids, 10 out of 10 recommend, you know? <laughs> like, this is great. I am working from home. I haven't put pants on in days. 
Like, <laughs> day, days of the week do not exist. Uh, the only days are, you know, today, yesterday, and tomorrow. Like, you know, I'm, I'm, like, I'm actually very, very introverted with extroverted qualities. Mm-hmm. So I have been thriving in this quarantine. <laughs> uh, like, absolutely thriving. Just me, my husband, and my cat. So um, it, it's nice. And I think with social media and all of that, like, we are, nobody's forgetting what happened. Um, oh, no. Which is, I think, very important. Nobody's forgetting um, the momentum that was building up. And, you know, people are very salty about, you know, Mania Week getting ruined. I mean, I had no plans on going to Mania Week. I mean, I have a nine to five that I can't mess up. Like, I'm going to just take a week off to go to Florida and wrestle in the middle of the day. But yeah. um, I wasn't going anyway. But people are going, like, when this is all over, people are going to have something to prove. So, like, I almost think it's, it's like, a good thing for wrestling. Because, like, wrestling, when it comes back, once we shake all of our rust off, man, like, it's going to be a whole nother level. Now that is that is um one sentiment that I've definitely been hearing from from others as well like this idea of like yeah we're like it sucks that mania weekend got scrapped the way that it did but you know a lot of people especially like you know focusing on the the LGBTQ pro wrestling scene like mm-hmm. we do here on this show like you know Effie has been out there basically saying like this like the big gay brunch is not canceled it's postponed paris's bumping is not canceled it is just postponed like it's it's basically like a very much a defiant attitude of like yeah we'll get through this and as soon as we get through this we're going to like fucking tear the house down again we're going to build it back up yeah and we're going to rip it back down with you know queer realness in a lot of ways oh, um oh speaking of which sorry to cut you off here oh no you're um, fine if you watch if you watch Dragnificent, you saw my good friend Ray Jazz, everybody. Yes. Um, I would like Ray Jazz to be sponsored for the Grace Sweatpants Battle Royal. So if <laughs> somebody in the LGBTQ community can get this going, uh, that would be great because Ray was such a good sport when it came to uh, working with the Queens. Um, and I really hope him and Thorgy get married one day. Uh, it will be beautiful. So um, I really hope that people can sponsor him to be in the Grey Sweatpants Battle Royal. He deserves it. Clap, 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 yes. clap. <laughs> oh, definitely. Faye Jackson, <laughs> listening. we got another intro. <laughs> Wait, oh, also, on the, on the note of Faye Jackson, um, my husband in drag. Mm-hmm. I don't know if y'all noticed this, but his gear, Hose Day's gear, in drag is actually the same print as one of Faye Jackson's gears. So. <laughs> I did. It, it did look very, very similar. I will say I was curious and I'm like, Oh, that's cool. That's rad. That was the gear I met Faye in too. Like the day she debuted that oh, year, that wow. was the day I met Faye. So it was, like I said, my life is one big cosmic wrestling joke. guys. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love it. I love it. Well, we're, we're, Yes. <laughs> well, we're in the end here, and I have to say this has been a blast, honestly. I, I've really enjoyed it. But I can't let you go without asking you a question um, that I learned after re-watching Butch versus Gore um, on IWTV um, later on. Uh, so we had one DJ Accent report on commentary during that night. And during the, the match uh, that you were in, mentioned how many uh, times that he has seen you in bar fights. 
I am curious. <laughs> I am very curious about um, how how true that statement might be. <laughs> if you care um, to comment. <laughs> well, Miss Accident Report, first time seeing me wrestle was at Lucky Chang's uh, drag bar, where I probably had the match in my career with Miss Max Caster himself, where the finish of this whole match was a pedigree into a cake that said ass, and I said, eat my ass. <laughs> um, so, yeah, that and that, honestly, that match was a, a pivotal moment of my career. But, uh, yeah, no, the bar fight thing mostly is a, a frat basement fight thing. Like, I was that girl, like, who had to be, like, held back. Like, some kid looked at me the wrong way. He was literally, like, seven feet tall and on the football team, and he was like, my mother told me to never hit a girl. I was like, fuck your mom, I know I could. And then, like, <laughs> I was also wearing, like, a Davy Crockett raccoon hat. Like, it was, yeah. So, um, look. this doesn't answer your question in any way, shape, or form. <laughs> it kind of does. Um, <laughs> it kind of does. Like, that's just, like, how deep, like, before I even saw my first wrestling match, I was getting into, uh, you know, the New Hampshire version of a bar fight. Nice. <laughs> And a Davy Crockett hat. I gotta bring that back. I think I'm gonna start wearing that as entrance gear. There you I've go. been wanting to wear headgear. I really do. <laughs> so I, I'll let you out of here on one last question after that. Um, you know, we're all kind of hunkered down for better or worse right now, trying to flatten the curve and everything. What is like the the first thing that you're looking forward to, wrestling or otherwise, um, once we're able to kind of get back to um the industry as it as it was or at least some form of how it was uh beforehand oh chinese food like (laughs) like all i want is chinese food man like i'm i'm so i'm in the new york new jersey area new york has been like the most impacted area and they like shut down all the chinese restaurants and all i can get some panda express out here and like listen panda express is great in a pinch but it does not beat Union Lotus, which is a half mile away from my house that I can't get to right now. So, oh yeah, it opens up. F wrestling, man. I'm going right to the to the Chinese <laughs> spot. <laughs> well, hopefully that happens sooner than later. Uh, Kareem, I have thoroughly enjoyed this. This is oh, been and getting my nails done. Getting my nails oh, done. Yeah, of course. I love yeah, that both hard. you and both you and Candy Lee, like that's like the one of the first things that like Wait, Candy I, Lee, I want to be your friend so bad. I was telling Billy this on the phone yesterday. Candy Lee, please be my friend. <laughs> I want to be your friend. And Billy said, Oh, just tweet her and ask her to be your friend. Candy Lee, be my friend. <laughs> <laughs> you heard your Candy. Be Kareem's friend. <laughs> We're, we're about making connections here. It's fun. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, Corinne, thank you so much for being on. It let was everybody a know. Pleasure. Oh, pleasure's all Absolute here. Pleasure. Uh, let everybody know where they can find you online. Uh, Corinne Mink. So C O R I N N E. So it's one R and two N. There's an E on the end. Mink, uh, such as the animal, on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. I keep it very simple for y'all. Nice, nice. Just don't spell it with two R's and one N. Alexis Michelle. (laughs) Thank you, Corinne. Thank you for being a friend. 
My thanks once again to uh, Corinne Mink for stopping by the show. Um, I'm still amazed that <laughs> her first real experience with pro wrestling and the the moment that kind of wooed her into this crazy, crazy world uh, was a very early GCW show. <laughs> like That's just um, bewildering and rad in so many ways. But honestly, if it's current to a T from from our conversation and from watching her um most notably in the ring at Butcher's score. Um yeah. Awesome. And also, you know what? I'm I'm with Corinne on on this whole uh Ray Jazz um in the Grey Sweatpants Battle Royal thing. Faye Jackson, if the uh, Grey Sweatpants Battle Royal um does end up uh, happening at some point down the line, I am fully behind Grand uh, Mink's uh, nomination of Ray Jazz for getting those bookings, as as you say. Um, you know, we'll throw out a shout out for his social media here too. You can find Ray Jazz on Twitter at the real underscore Ray Jazz with one Z um, on there. So yeah, we're spreading the love out here on LGBT in the Ring. Speaking of spreading the love, I cannot uh, end today's show without highlighting uh, Jake Atlas and his performance last night on NXT in his first match in the interim NXT Cruiserweight Championship Tournament. A very hard-fought victory over Drake Maverick, and honestly, the the coming out party in some ways, I don't mean to like use a turn of phrase there in that way but no but really atlas um you know he only had one other television appearance so far to this point um and you know us that have followed him for the past few years as he rose through the indies know what he's capable of and it was very very awesome to see him get the chance to um show everyone why he was on the wwe's radar and why he um, deserves the spotlight that he is inevitably going to get. Um, there's no denying that. Um, so big congrats out to Jake Atlas and can't wait to see what else you have in store uh, throughout this tournament. Um, no matter your opinions on WWE or them running shows um, during the pandemic, uh, which strong feelings there um, as have <laughs> as has been previously stated on this show, but um, if there is a silver lining, it is the fact that we get to see um, just, you know, Jake Atlas, yes, that is a huge thing there, but let's also not forget, Sonya Deville is probably having her first real shot at kind of taking center stage um, in a fairly high-profile angle, and she has been killing it. Um, The promo last Friday on SmackDown was killer, and I, you know, I was impressed Sony doesn't get a, a ton of time to, to talk um, on the show. She doesn't really get a ton of time to do a lot of stuff on the show, but the fact that you know she's able to put her talents out there and show you why she's there as well is um, is really nice to see. It's been a good week. It's been a good week for uh, for career talent in the WWE. Um, so if you need a silver lining for everything else that's going on in the world, wrestling or otherwise, you at least have that which is nice. Um, But that's going to do it for us here at LGBT in the Ring this week, but we cannot leave until we throw out some big old thank yous to all of our uh, favorite people that help this show be as awesome as it is. 
The Progress Pride Flag design by Daniel Quasar is a product of Progress Initiative. You can find out more at quasar.digital. And, of course, big thank you to Sarah in the Safe Word for the show's theme song, Formula 666. That's off the album Red Hot and Holy. You can find them on Twitter at STSW Band. And you can check out their music on Spotify and Bandcamp at sarahinthesafeword.bandcamp.com. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at WonderboyOTM. You can follow the show on Twitter at LGBT Ring Pod. And as always, if you are into video games and gaming news, um, I do co-host a gaming news podcast every Monday night, 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific, over on twitch.tv slash Entertainment. Sun like the star, not like your child. That show is called the Mr. Video Game Super Show, and I have the pleasure of of hosting that alongside two of my very close friends, uh, a couple of Twitch streamers, uh, Slacker Kite and Lady Merwin. Uh, it is two hours of biting commentary and blistering dumbness, and I am there for all of it. Every single last bit of it, and I hope you will be too. Remember that every Monday, 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific, over at twitch.tv slash deadsunentertainment. Um... But yeah, that's going to do it for us this week. Coming up on another milestone number next week, we'll see what we have planned for that. But until then, lovelies, stay messy, wash your hands and gargle. For God's sakes, wash your hands and gargle. And we'll see you next week. Bye! From the top of the bridge, she made a deal with the demon so her lover could live. For the moon.